and welcome to The Schism. This podcast is all about critical thinking, dot connecting, the nature of reality, and trying to uncover the truth about the world we live in, society, who we are, and where we come from. Hello and welcome to The Schism. I'm joined once again by my co-host Adam. Hello everyone. And in today's episode, we have a very special guest joining us, Zachary King. Zachary, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us both today. Thanks for inviting me. So you were an ex-high wizard at the World Church of Satan, but since leaving, you have now become a devout Catholic and dedicated your life to spreading the truth about satanic sacrifice, and particularly when it comes to abortion. But we're going to talk more about that later. For the time being, we wanted to go back to where your journey started way before you joined any kind of satanic covenant and you were a child and and you had an obsession with magic. Yeah. I just had this burning desire. I wanted to know was magic real. Is that something that just a normal person can do? And I went to my Baptist preacher. I grew up Baptist and I asked my Baptist preacher is magic real. And he said, no, that magic was just stuff of movies and fantasy. And so I asked my parents and my parents said, no, It was stuff of Doug Henning, who was a magician back in the 70s. You know, that was just illusion or card tricks. And but magic was fake. Somehow my Baptist preacher and my parents missed the 33 verses in the Bible where God tells you not to do magic. Why would God tell you not to do something if it's impossible to do it? If it was impossible to lie, thou shalt not lie wouldn't be in the Ten Commandments. Same thing with murder and stealing. If it was impossible to do those things, He wouldn't tell you not to, but he tells you not to do magical things 33 times. So not only must it be possible, but it must be very important that he doesn't want us to do it. But everyone missed those verses. So everyone told me, no, it was impossible to do. So after watching all the movies, all the B movies, the Vincent Price movies, the horror movies on TV, then I just had this burning desire. What if... I could try a magic spell and it really worked. Now, at the same time as that, I'm I'm 10 years old. I'm in the fifth grade. And my first day of school, this kid says, meet me in the bathroom at the first break. Well, we don't have the internet back then. We don't have people warning you. Hey, when some random child comes up to you and says, meet me in the bathroom, don't go in there. No one said that. My first four years of school, nobody said, meet me in the bathroom at the first break. So I'm not giving any heads up about this. So I go into the bathroom on the first break. It's 1020 in the morning and there's 49 other kids in the bathroom, boys and girls in the same bathroom. And they tell us we're going to turn out the light, chant a phrase 11 times. And if we do it right, the spirit of a burn victim will show up in the mirror. Now they say we're playing a game. We're really doing a spell to make a spell work. You need intention, repetition and demonic presence. So people say they tried Harry Potter spells over and over again, but they don't work. Well, that's because there wasn't a demon presence. Because I've talked to other people that say they do work. So we go in the bathroom, we turn out the lights, we chant the phrase, and all of a sudden, this scary face appears in the mirror, and 49 kids ran screaming out of the bathroom. One child, he's an idiot, I can call him an idiot because it was me, stayed in the bathroom thinking, this is the coolest thing ever. I chanted this phrase. I made this face appear. So I'm thinking this is the greatest trick in the world. But remember that you're standing there looking in a mirror. 
that mirror is not some distant land where something is happening on the other side of the world. And it's also not the room behind the mirror. Right. If you're seeing it in the mirror, it's standing next to you. You're seeing the reflection standing next to you. So eventually, notes got sent home and said that if we were caught playing this at school, we'd be suspended for three days. And I had to go in front of my dad in the den and give him this note. And usually my dad reads the note and just signs it and gives it back to me. Doesn't care what it says. But today he read the note and in his usual loving tone said, have you been playing this game? Being terrified of my dad as I was, I told him the truth. No. So I wouldn't get caught at school and get suspended. I started playing the game at home. Except when I played it at school, I played it once a day. When I started playing it at home, I'd get up in the morning, play the game, use the bathroom, play the game, brush my teeth, play the game, wash my hands, play the game, go have breakfast, come back, brush my teeth again, play the game, play the game 15 times before I had to go to school. When I got home from school, there was nobody home. So then I would play the game another 25, 30, 35 times waiting for dinner to be cooked. And then after dinner was cooked and I'd washed up and brushed my teeth again, played the game some more. I played the game up until the time it was gone to go to bed. And then if I got up during the night to go to the bathroom, I'd play the game again. And every time I played it, I got this scary face. Now, the same scary face doesn't talk to me, doesn't say anything. It's just there. And I started realizing, I don't know if this is magic or not, but I'm able to conjure this. Whatever this is, wherever it is, I'm able to see it. And I'm thinking this is power. Like, I've got the power to do this. No one else says they do it. And I'm able to. I'm not sure if this is magic or not, but maybe this is a power I can harness in some way. Were you not scared at this point as a young child? It, it wasn't scary to you? No, I'd watched every horror movie that existed at that time. And so I was fascinated by scary movies and horror and stuff like that. And I'm seeing a scary face. I was told it was a spirit of a burn victim. It looked like a, a burn victim. The, the skin was dark. The face looked like it had melted. It's got skin on the top of its lip that's melted down to the bottom part of the face. It looked like it had been in a fire. You know, and if you've been in a fire, you're going to be ugly. That's not your fault. But it wasn't like horned or did it look human? It looked like it might have been human at one time. But now its ears are bigger than they should be. Its teeth are all fangs. It's got skin from the upper lip coming down to the bottom lip. It just looks disfigured like it had been in a fire. Now, I didn't realize I was looking at a demon, but I was looking at a demon. So I'm guessing that's something that you found out years later, but going back yes. to when you were a young child, you were having these interactions with the mirror. This thing was appearing or person that you thought was the spirit of a, of a burn victim, but you right. were actually going back and forth with the demon. So was there a point where that interaction went beyond just seeing it and there was there was a dialogue there? Not with that one. That, that one never spoke to me. Okay. So where so where did it go from you just making contact? And casting the spell well, over and over. I I wanted to do a magic spell. I wasn't certain that was a magic spell. I wanted to do a magic spell where I could definitely say magic works or magic does not work. If magic doesn't work, I'm going to leave all this behind and just, you know, be a kid. But if it does work, 
I'm going to do magic every day for the rest of my life. So I decided to do a magic spell for money. I don't like the pop quiz I get every Friday, but if I kill my teacher, they'll replace her with another teacher, and that teacher could be worse. I don't like my PE coach, but if I get rid of that coach, the next coach might be worse. I'm not interested in that. But some cash, for me, would be nice. You know, this is 1976. Candy bars are 20 cents. Comic books are 15 to 20 cents. And penny candy is a penny. These are the things that are the most important to me. So I set out to do a magic spell for money. And I got the magic spell from my D&D books. So I, I did a magic spell for money on a Friday. Saturday I went out and I found a can of tennis balls with a $5 bill in it. And I'm thinking, okay, that's 500 pieces of candy. That's a pretty good score. But this could have been a coincidence. Yeah. We had a tennis tournament in town. Somebody had to find that can. So I'm going to try it again next week. So I did it the following Friday. And I went out and I found a $10 bill on the side of the road. All right, this is not bad. $15 in eight days. But still could have been a coincidence. So the next Friday, I did it in my bathroom at home. And I went halfway into the spell, and then I did the Bloody Mary chant. And when the face appeared, I made sure it, it knew I was doing a spell for money. And then I finished out my spell for money. And the next day I went playing, and something shiny caught my eye. And I ran off to see what that was. And I put it in my pocket and went about playing. It looked like Monopoly money rolled up tight in rubber bands. So later that night, when everybody's in bed asleep, I'm in my room with my lights out. But I'm under my sheet with a flashlight in my mouth, unraveling all these rubber bands. And when I unraveled them all, I had 10 $100 bills. That's why it looked like Monopoly money, because I'd never seen a $100 bill. And I'm now worth $1,000. It's 1976, and everything I want is dirt cheap. I could now afford 100,000 pieces of candy. I am over the moon excited. I've got all this money. I can buy whatever I want. I realized that if I did this every day for a year, at the end of the year, I could buy a Lamborghini. If I did it every day for three years, I'd be a millionaire. To me, I won Powerball. This was like the biggest lottery winner I could have ever had at 10 years old, winning a thousand bucks. And I can do this magic spell every day if I want to. So I know now beyond a reasonable doubt that magic is real. What a moment as a young boy. I, th I think that must have made your summer the very first time. <laughs> yeah, it was it was awesome. You know, I went out and bought Kiss Alive 2. <laughs> and uh, th there was a Best Of by Alice Cooper. I bought that. I bought a bunch of rock and roll albums that, you know, even rock bands I'd never heard of, I bought stuff. There's a band in the 80s called Sig Sig Sputnik. I bought them. It's like a punk band. And um, bought a lot of Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Jimi Hendrix. I mean, that's like the Rock and Roll Hall of Famers. So in right. in theory, would a spell like the money spell that you're talking about work again and again and again? Or is that not how spells work? You can't just keep and doing the same one again and again. Oh, yeah. You could do the same one as many times as you want. What dictates whether it works or not is if there's a demon present. If there's no demon present, it doesn't work. If there is a demon present, it does work. So does that mean to say that at that time whenever you were casting spells, it was when you were alone in the presence of the demon, so doing your spell in front of the mirror. Otherwise, it wouldn't have worked. If the demon had not been present, it wouldn't have worked. 
after discovering this must have been a moment, obviously you were told by authoritarian figures in your life that magic didn't work. Especially when well, you were young, it's quite hard to hear that from people, especially that are a lot bigger than you. When you actually did go, this does work, magic works, what did you think your potential was to take this forward other than just casting the money spell and being like, I'm going to have a Lamborghini in a year? Did you at any one point well, go, where where can I take this now? At 10 years old, I wasn't looking at my potential. I was thinking, I was short-sighted. I was looking at Lamborghini in a year. Now, keep in mind that I'm looking at it from a 10-year-old's perspective. I, I'm not realizing that my dad has to drive me to the Lamborghini store. My dad has to explain to somebody how it is that I'm now worth $235,000. You know, my dad has to pay for my Lamborghini. Then my dad has to drive my Lamborghini back home. My dad has to get insurance on my Lamborghini. I'm not thinking of any of those things. I'm just thinking that I could get a Lamborghini and I'm 10 years old. You know, I'm not looking at it from the practical side. I'm looking at it from a 10-year-old's perspective. I'm thinking that I could be a millionaire in three years, but I'm not thinking about paying taxes on it. I'm not thinking about reporting it. I'm not thinking of keeping it in the bank. I'm not thinking of that they're only going to insure $100,000 of it. You know, again, I'm not thinking of any of the adult problems that an adult would think of. Yeah. I'm thinking of it from a, from a 10-year-old's perspective. So how how on earth were you able to keep this to yourself? Because it's a huge secret. My parents had a huge house, and my bedroom was huge. My closet was so big that my parents and my brother kept some of their clothes in my closet, and it had plenty of room left over. So I could easily hide stuff. Stuff that I bought, I had probably 500 albums. So I could easily hide more albums in that. Plus, I bought a lot of my stuff from Goodwill. You know, it's like a secondhand store. So none of my stuff that's coming into the house is new, except candy. Candy's new. But clothes, leather jackets, boots, uh, shoes. And my mom was okay with me buying my own clothes. You know, if I wanted to go to Goodwill, and I mean, you can get a boot, pair of boots for a quarter, a leather jacket for a dollar. So she's not thinking of I'm spending hundreds of dollars. And I'm spending a few quarters here or there. So what? You know, I earn money with my dad and my mom doing small chores around the house. So when I go someplace to spend money, they don't know that I've got this treasure trove of $1,000. So at what point after that did you decide that you wanted to find other people that were into magic and you went on to join your first covenant? Uh, I was um, 11 years old. I became the victim of a sexual assault at school at the hands of a female teacher. She told me it was my idea. I wanted to do it. And if I told anybody, I'd be expelled from school. I'd be arrested and taken to prison. And my parents would disown me. And then when I got out of prison, she made it sound like all this would happen in the same year. When I got out of prison, I'd have to get a job. I wouldn't be allowed to go back to school. So, you know, I thought she's a teacher. Why would she lie to me? So since she's telling the truth, I can't tell anybody. So I dove further into magic because that made me feel better about myself. And then the following year, there was this kid that used to play D&D with us the previous year, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And he, he stopped coming to our meetings and he stopped going to school. And I thought he moved away. But it turned out he was homeschooled and he was being taught to be a recruiter for a satanic coven. And he came back and he told us that uh, he's still in town. He's with this other group. 
and they play D&D every weekend, and they also believe magic is real. Well, I know magic is real, so I think I'm going to go check them out. At my house, my mom would give you three meals a day and a snack if she was in a good mood. But over there, you could eat Snicker bars and potato chips all day long. You know, at my house, we had three pizzas for the entire time I lived at home. For 18 years, we had three pizzas. But over there, I could have a pizza a day if I wanted, every day if I wanted. You know, my parents ate at McDonald's two or three times in my lifetime. Over there, I could eat at McDonald's every day if I wanted, or Burger King or Popeye's. Wherever I want to eat, I can do that. At my parents' house, almost nothing. But what was for dinner was whatever my mom was cooking that night. And you didn't have a choice in anything. If you decided you didn't want to eat that, then you went to bed early. But over here, everything was fun. Everything I wanted to eat is what I got to eat. You know, we also, at my mom's house, my parents' house, we had a 26-inch console TV. Now, a, a console TV is a TV that fits inside a big wooden box. But over there, they have a 50-inch projection screen. You know, at my house, we can watch G-rated movies or a PG-rated movie if it had been vetted by my dad first. But over there, there's R-rated movies, X-rated movies, triple X-rated movies. There's triple X-rated movies with kids in it my age. And there's magazines that have naked kids in it my age. And I was told that what happened to me when I was 11 was atrocious, and that should have never happened to anybody. But now here's the chance to get my power back. Now I can be in movies with all these naked people my age, and nobody can tell me no. If I feel uncomfortable with anybody, I can tell them no. They'll make me famous, and they'll make me a movie star. So I'm starring in these movies for four and a half years. And people are writing in. We get letters from all over the world of people that want to see us in certain positions or see me perform with certain girls and do certain acts with them. And this whole time, I thought it was children writing into us. And somebody would write into us with a crayon. It would be written in a crayon with large print, and it looks like a child wrote it. So we would think that children were writing in. It never occurred to us that adults were watching these videos. You know, it never occurred to us that there were pedophiles, and we wouldn't have even know what a pedophile was. You know, there's these pedophiles in the world watching these videos. We all thought it was children watching these videos and children wanting to see us perform. So we were doing whatever we could to please our fans. You know, and I'm thinking I'm like the luckiest kid in the world because I'm actually having sex every weekend. The kids at school would brag about all the sex they were having, but none of them were having sex. They were just making up stories, trying to make themselves out to be cooler than what they were. And me and my other friends, we weren't bragging. We didn't want anyone to know we were really having sex. We didn't want to get caught. We didn't want to get in trouble. What age were you at this point? Twelve. Right. Wow. Okay. And this and and this went on until you were, I'm guessing, not a child anymore. Until <laughs> yeah. you were over sixteen. I, I, I did uh, child pornography till I was about halfway through fifteen, and I grew a mustache. And suddenly, nobody wanted to see uh, an older version of me in a porno. Wow. Yeah, they were okay watching me perform as long as I looked like a kid. But when I no longer looked like a little kid, they weren't interested anymore. Then you almost had to face that as a rejection, even though, in fact, yeah. they were, in fact, abusing you and taking advantage of you. It, it actually, uh, I, I, I had a suicide attempt soon after that because I had been on top of the world being in demand in these films, and suddenly nobody wants to see me perform anymore. You know, I... I look too old to perform and I could, I could have transitioned into adult porn 
and operated with adults, but I wasn't interested. Or I could have been an adult still sleeping with children, but I wasn't interested in that either. I was interested in that as long as I was a child. But if I was an adult, I wasn't interested in sleeping with children. But going back to me being 12, uh, this older kid ran up to me one day and he said, you know, you're in a satanic coven, right? And he took off running and, you know, laughing about it. And I just laughed it off. I thought, no, there's no way this is a satanic coven. But then, you know, after a while, after a couple of weeks, it kind of bothered me. Like, could this maybe be a satanic coven? So I went up to an adult that I trusted. And I said, hey, I got a story for you. You're going to laugh. I heard this was a satanic coven. Crazy, right? And I expected him to burst out laughing. But instead, he got serious and he said, it is. And my heart sunk into my stomach. And I was like, I'm not a member, am I? No. Would you like to be? You, know, you have to remember that I grew up Baptist. So in the Baptist church, we're taught that Jesus defeated the devil on the cross 2,000 years ago. So Satan's no threat to us now. And that Satan is afraid of the Baptist church. So Satan's giving me everything that I want, probably because he's scared of me. And Satan is my friend. Remember my, my parents and God are the no police. Everything I want to do, the answer is no. Can I go see a certain band? No. Can I go see a movie? No. Can I go to a play? No. Can I go to this musical? No. Everything is no. But everything I want to do with Satan is yes. We're going to go see the Moody Blues play. We're going to go see this movie first. We're going to see this play. We're going to go see this musical. Wherever you want to go out to eat is fine. You know, do you want to smoke a cigar? Do you want to smoke a cigarette? Do you want to take his from a bong? Take some pills? Drop some acid? Take some MDMA? All of this is good. But God says, God's got an entire book of thou shalt not. No matter what you want to do in the Bible, there's a rule against it. No matter what I want to ask for my parents, the answer is always no. But Satan always says yes. No matter what I want to do, the answer is always yes. Why, again, am, is Satan the bad guy? I get to do everything I want to do. I get to take everything I want to do. I get to have sex with whoever I want. I can drink whatever I want. Anything that I want to do is fine. And God says no to everything along with my parents. I'm failing to see where God is the good guy here. I'm failing to see where Satan is the bad guy. So, you know, I'm thinking I'm addicted to porn. I'm addicted to masturbation. I'm addicted to sex. You got to be 18 years old to buy porn. I'm 12. You got to be 19 to buy cigarettes or tobacco, cigars. I'm still 12. You got to be 21 to buy booze. I'm still 12. I don't know where to buy these drugs if I'm not coming to this coven. And if I stop coming to this coven, I'm going to stop having sex, stop being in these films. What do I have to do to join? There's 13 steps to joining a satanic coven, and I'd done almost all of them already. All I had left to do was slice my left thumb and bleed onto a document and sign that document in three places in my own blood. The blood of Jesus washes away all sin, but not mine. Jesus died for everyone, but not me. And on the fifth page of a five-page document, I agree to sell my soul to the devil. Now, it's at this point during my conferences that I stop the talk. I usually have a person sitting right next to me. 
and I ask them what kind of car they drive. They tell me, and then I announce to the crowd, who can legally sell me this person's car? Nobody can. Why not? Because it doesn't belong to you. That's the same reason you can't sell your soul. It's not yours. God died for you. Jesus paid the ultimate price for your soul. You can't loan it. You can't lease it. And you certainly cannot sell it. You may have heard that Satan's a liar. I'm here to confirm. If Satan tells you good morning, get a second opinion. But at 13 years old, you believe you know everything in the world. So I knew it all at 13. And I knew that when I signed my name in this document, it meant that I may have all the freedom in the world now. But at 95 years old, when I planned on dying, I was going to go to hell. So I signed my name to that. And then fast forward a few days, I'm at a coven meeting late at night. And I'm wearing a white robe signifying I'm in a world of innocence. And I'm about to be baptized in a vat of human blood, pig's blood, and human urine. They do a full submersion, bring you up. You go into another room and take a shower and come out in a black robe with the cowl raised as signifying you've been baptized into a world of darkness. I sit on a chair and they hand me a wheel with a crucifix in it. And I spin the crucifix upside down, signifying human sacrifice. They read the document off I signed the night before. I show them my thumb to show that it was my blood that I used. And then I break the arms downward, denouncing Christ. They intertwine the document with that. And they say that's forever locked together in a vault. And that one day when I die, I'll be condemned to hell. And then we have a sex orgy to celebrate that I'm now a Satanist. And at that, they also awarded me the red robe, which is what I wanted. Everybody there wore a black robe with a red inverted pentagram. I wanted the red robe with the black inverted pentagram. That shows you're the mage or the official magic practitioner of the coven. Becoming the mage within the group, that must have been actually quite, a, I don't want to say like a proud moment, but having... It was very, very much so. I, I bet that felt actually quite... Like it like gave you some meaning or purpose that you probably didn't feel like you had before? When, when you're a little kid, you're a nobody. You know, when you go to any event, that no event is about you. You know, you're always there for somebody else, whether it's a football game, a baseball game, basketball game, derby racing. No matter what event you go to, you're never the center of attention. Now, suddenly, I'm the mage. And to me, I'm the center of attention. Everybody admires the mage. There's multiple mages there. There's about, at some, at some events, there were up to 12 people wearing these red robes. But the red robes, everybody, they're all in demand. Everybody wants to talk to them. Everybody wants to hang around them. They seem to be the coolest people in the room. Why can't I be one of them? You know, and I just felt that Suddenly, if I was a mage, I would be important. So when I suddenly became the mage, I was imp I felt important. I felt like now suddenly everybody in the room would want to talk to me. Even if they didn't talk to me, I still would have felt important because I'm a mage. I'm wearing a red robe. At this point, were you still doing the spells in the mirror? Or like, were you just spending all, all your time concentrating on being in, in the covenant? Um, I was trying different types of magic spells. I mean, I would still do that one once in a while. I, I kind of felt like that demon was my friend. 
like he didn't smile or snarl. He just had this face and he never spoke to me, but I referred to him as my friend. I didn't have a name for him. And I kind of wished you'd have told me his name just so I would have had like a familiar, you know, name I could put to him. But he always showed up. Every time I called him, he showed up. So what do you understand that to be now? The relationship? I mean, like, why is he appearing? And Well, he's appearing to keep me in a state of mortal sin. Because if I'd have died at that point, I would have gone to hell. You know, and I'm, I'm violating the first commandment by calling a demon forth. Now, I wasn't Catholic at that time, so I didn't understand any of those dynamics. I don't think I even understood that children could go to hell at that time. So where was your next step after that? Because obviously High Wizard is quite a few rungs on the ladder up from being right. mage. I was, I officially became a Satanist at 13. When I was practically turning 14, uh, they gave me a scalpel and they told me to practice stabbing an apple, an orange, or a ball of Play-Doh because I was going to participate in an orgy now and then we were going to have an abortion in eight or nine months. I need to practice for the abortion. And then I went home to look up the word abortion because I didn't know what it meant. And my dictionary was so old, it didn't have the word in there. And then I went to the library and they had two books that were both about two inches thick that said abortion in the title. And neither one of those had an immediate definition. So I thought, you know, I'm not reading two inches to figure out what it is. So I went to the, back to the coven and went up to another adult that I trusted and I said, Hey, I've heard that I've got to participate in a sex orgy. That I knew what it was, but but then we're going to have an abortion in nine months. What is that? And he said, you're killing a baby. And I was like, is that legal? In the womb, legal. Out of the womb, murder. So I practiced stabbing these things for nine months. We had our sex orgy when I was 14. It was all the male members between 12 and 15 and one female that was 19 and her purpose was to get pregnant then to kill her baby in nine months and all the abortions we did were late term and when it actually came time for me to get the, the mage or the high wizard the, your job is to get blood on your hands and then do your hex so it, it turned out i didn't have to stab anybody and i'd also heard that we were just scraping out some tissue it wasn't an actual baby but it's a late-term abortion. So the baby, if it came out at this point, it would be viable. And I'm looking at it and realizing that's not a lump of cells. That's a full-term baby. That could e easily come out and be a baby. You know, but we'd already, we'd gone this, this far along and the, the abortion doctor is killing the baby at this point. And then when he's done, he rips the baby apart with these like scissors that have like tongs with teeth on them. The baby's dead already. He rips it apart, throws it out to uh, some women that are kneeling on the floor and chanting our bodies ourselves. And they consume the baby. They cannibalize it. And then we have a sex orgy. And then that's the event. We've brutalized and aborted this woman's baby and murdered it in the name of Satan. And, um, and then that's that. And... For me, I felt like I didn't have any blood left in my system. It was just pure adrenaline. I felt like I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof. I felt like you could have shot at me right then and I would have deflected bullets. Or I could have walked on water. I felt like I could do anything. Like Satan gave me this 
feeling of invulnerability. It felt like Superman at that point. Wow. Do you think that's, in a sense, the same buzz that a serial killer would get after taking life? They would feel sort of superhuman. Or or do you think it was just like the reverie of the situation? Because it sounds like complete chaos. You know, as far as a serial killer goes, would that be like also an abortion doctor? I realized after this abortion that if I wanted to murder with impunity, I should become an abortion doctor where I could murder 30 or 40,000 babies over the course of my lifetime and dedicate all of those babies to Satan, that I would be the most powerful magic practitioner in the world if I was able to do that. When I first started, I mean, I did like one, but I didn't have the option to do another one. I, I did like maybe two before I graduated high school. And then when I graduated high school, I was going off to college and I was looking to find another satanic coven. And we didn't have the internet back then. There was no place to go and look. The places where you could find covens advertised were in like an adult bookstore and then get a swingers magazine. And in the back of the swingers magazine would be ads for satanic covens. And those places were creepy. I didn't like going into them. You'd see people doing things out in the car in the parking lot that you don't want to accidentally see. And once you see something like that, you can't unsee it. So I thought, how am I going to find a satanic coven? Because they're not going to advertise it in the town square. Well, I found it because they advertised it in the town square. The first day of school was a Wednesday, and they had these student union meetings. So there was the Baptist and the Catholic student union, the Republican and the Democrat student union, the Satanic and the Wiccan student union. So I went to the Satanic student union and found out this was a bunch of kids away from home for the first time. And they thought that Satanism was all about getting high, getting drunk, getting laid. I don't need Satanism for that. I've been doing that since I was 12. And these kids are away from home for the first time and they're practicing magic out in the open but not a real magic spell. They say, I'm going to pop this beer can open, wave it above my head three times, slam it back, and if I can drink it all in one gulp, throw it, and it land in that trash can in one shot, I'm going to get a new truck. That's not a magic spell. And these guys would like, make that up, do it, and it doesn't work, so they don't get a new truck. Or sometimes they do it, and they'd get it, but they wouldn't get the new truck. And, and they're doing things like that. That's just regular stuff. This happens on a Saturday. And Sunday, they all go to church, not to break it up, but because they claim to be Christian. This Satanism thing is just like a club that they belong to. So I'm not looking for that. I read a book that said something about the Illuminati and the World Church of Satan and Bohemian Grove. I don't know if any of that's real, but I'd like to find out if it's real, and I'd like to do it. So I contacted my first coven, and they told me about this place called World Church of Satan and where it was. There's a phone number. Call that number and do what they say, and I'll probably discover all this stuff. So I call the number. They took down my information on my ID, my driver's license. They took down my name and my driver's license number, and then they gave me an address to go to, and they told me that I won't be able to park at the address. I'll have to park two or three miles away, which was true. I had to park about two miles away, and I came up to this building. They took my ID, wrote down all the information, said they're expecting you. Come on in. And I walked inside, and it's uh, like a giant Walmart, it's a giant warehouse with about 10,000 people in it. There's these tables set up that have 
marijuana and mushrooms. And then another table that's got pills and acid MDMA. And then another table that has heroin, needles and syringes. And then there's another table with soda and water and another table with beer, another table with hard liquor. And there's an area that has rock and roll playing and people dancing and some people just sitting on couches and chairs. Then there's another part of this room where people are involved in a sex orgy. And then some people just sitting around talking. I'm just kind of walking around observing everybody and everything that's going on. And I'm talking to this guy. And let's go back to me being 13 years old. I was at a sleepover one night and I saw this guy. I was on my way to the bathroom and I saw this guy. He looked like a member of KISS dressed in a tuxedo. And I thought that was the coolest look ever. And he made eye contact with me and winked at me and then kept walking. So I went to the bathroom. The next day, I asked the people where I was, hey, who was this guy? I saw him last night. Oh, you dreamed that. That didn't happen. All right. So I'll just store that in the back of my head sometime. And one day in the future, I'll find out who that was. Well, one day in the future happened when I was 18 at this party. Not the same guy, but the similar look. The guy walked by me. And I grabbed this guy that was beside me. And I said, who is that? What is that? How can I do that? And he goes, oh, who is in charge of your coven? I said, we had a really large coven. It was 125 to 150 members. And we were run by 13 high priests and priestesses. He goes, oh, okay. Well, we have 1.1 million members worldwide. And we're run by a CEO and board of directors. And that's a high wizard. He does the official magic of the coven. How can I do that? I don't know, but you have to get Satan's attention. So I knew you can get Satan's attention by abortion. I knew abortion is a satanic sacrifice. So if I can just get tied into the abortion group, I can get Satan's attention. And I did about five or six more abortions. And then one day I got this notice that I was being called before the CEO and board of directors. But I also know that when people get that notice, sometimes they're never seen or heard from again. And I'm living in Florida at this time. And at that time, there was a two-week cooling off period to buy a handgun. So I went there and I bought a 9 millimeter 6 hour with a bunch of ammo and a bunch of clips and a clip belt, something that would hold multiple clips on it. And then I went there two weeks before the event, or one week before the event, and I picked up all my ammo, all my clips, and my clip belt, found out how to wear it, and I was ready for my meeting. And they ushered me into this room, sat me in a chair, and pulled this cord on the wall, and this black curtain moved out of the way. And there were like nine costumes on the wall, nine different looks of a high wizard. And then they showed me these pictures that were all 24 inch by 24 inch faces of a high wizard ideas for face paint. And then they gave me this handbook called the high wizard handbook. And I opened up the first page of that and it said, no one can tell you what to do. And I thought, this is the job for me. What does this mean? No one can tell me what to do. He says, well, they can ask you to do it. They can tell you what your next assignment is but they cannot actually tell you to do it. Your decision on whether you do the magic spell or not is up to you. But my perspective was, if you paid big money for a magic spell, you should get the magic spell. That person deserves their magic spell. If they're going to pay big money for it, they deserve to get it. Wow. Okay. So you become the high wizard. And now where does your journey go 
from there? Because as I understand it, you were dealing with some pretty high profile people at that point that that needed your yeah. assistance, your skill set, yeah, to get what they wanted and more. At that point, you get to go to Bohemian Grove your first time. You're the High Wizard. So I was I was in Bohemian Grove like a week later. Wow, um, two weeks later. And what really goes on there? Uh, there's a, it's a two week event, and the cremation of care is the big event. It's where there's a little river. It's man made, and you start off on one side of it, and you get into a boat that's flat bottom, and you have a, a long pole, and the boat is actually on a track, so you're not going to capsize or anything. You stand up on the boat and you push yourself across this river, and then it's all theatrics. Uh, there's smoke, there's torches, there's a small child, it's a male, and we claim that there's um, a murdering of a child, but it's all fake. I'm sure back in the day before there were cameras on everybody's cell phones, it was probably the real murder of a child, but not when I was doing it. Yeah, so and... now it's more of a mock sacrifice to kind of pay right. homage to that. right. But uh, it's supposed to end your bad luck of the year and start you off on a fresh year with good luck. But everybody there wants magic done by the High Wizard. So you're setting up a timetable of events for everyone there because everyone there wants to hire you. So you have people that walk with you that write down these people's names and phone numbers and a brief overview of what they want done. And then you give them all business cards where they call your coven or they call the Illuminati, and they negotiate a price, and then the coven gets that money. I don't see the money. All I see is what the request is, and then I do the magic spell. So when you say the Illuminati, who are you talking about exactly? Uh, the Illuminati is a satanic coven meeting. Uh, it's a satanic group that pulls the levers and pushes the buttons around the world. They control governments who gets elected or doesn't get elected, who gets assassinated, who gets put into power, who gets taken out of power, also who becomes a rock star, who doesn't. And would they have links to things like sports as well? Like It's not just like Hollywood, it's the world of sports, it's the world of celebrity. Yeah. Are they, they've got a hold of all of them things? Yeah, it's almost everything. Almost everything is under control of the Illuminati. I'll tell you, when you're looking at conspiracy theories, the crazier something looks, the more outlandish and outrageous it sounds, the closer to the truth it is. So with something like Bohemian Grove, was there, obviously that was a lot of powerful people meeting up somewhere to let their hair down. I'm sure it was similar things that were maybe going on at Epstein Island, people with young prostitutes and things like this. But would there be still sacrifices being made and some dark ritualistic stuff going on? Or is it more just like a meet and greet for the rich and powerful? It's more of a meet and greet for the rich and powerful. You have a fake sacrifice, but there's only one. There's a giant owl. There's more than one altar, but nothing happens at those altars now. And there might be like a chicken sacrifice. There's yeah. not a real person being killed. Is it a blackmail operation or is it a chance for people to kind of let their hair down? Sounds like a bit of an understatement, but, you know, get into some pretty deplorable behavior and get away with it, let's, let's say. Well, 
yeah, there's there are bathrooms there, but most people don't use the bathrooms. They pee on trees. There's no women allowed in, so it's all guys, and it's a bunch of men peeing in front of each other. Uh, there is a lot of homosexuality that happens. They hire gay prostitutes and gay porn stars to come in and perform, and then if you want to perform with them, you just join in. And there yeah. are there are like Republicans and Democrats there, and some of the Republicans are disgusted, and clearly visibly so, they won't participate, but some people do participate. Even people that, you know, signed anti-homosexuality bills are participating in homosexuality when they're there. So as well as going to Bohemian Grove, is it right that you've also attended a Bilderberg meeting? Yes. Again, as the High Wizard? Yes. And what what went down there? Uh, I was there in 91. It was in um, Potsdamer Platz, Germany. And we were waiting for Bill Gates to show up. So we waited for a good portion of the afternoon. I'm trying to get these guys to let's just talk about whatever we're going to talk about. But no one wants to talk without Bill being there. And finally, he shows up and he has an entourage with him and they're all carrying trays. And he comes in and they're taking the lids off the trays and giving everybody these tall cups. And I'm sitting at the table and then I stand up to look because the, the cup is about uh, 18 inches high. I don't want to touch it. But I stand up so I can look down in it. And it's kind of green and red. It looks disgusting. And it stinks really bad. Everybody's making a horrible face. And Bill just tilts it back and takes a big gulp and tells everybody to drink up that we'll appreciate him later when we live longer from drinking it. And just tilt it back and drink it. And he keeps drinking from his. And everybody's looking disgusted. Nobody wants to do it. So I'm standing there looking in this thing, and he says, everybody stand up. So when he said, everybody stand up, I sat down. And he said, I said, everybody stand up. And then I crossed my legs on the table, you know, just prop my feet up on there and crossed my crossed at the ankles. And he's ordering everybody to take a drink. And then he looks right at me and says, I order you to take a drink. And I said, I don't do what you say. I don't do what anyone says. And he orders me to stand up and take a drink. And I'm not doing it. I got up and I was drinking Dr. Pepper. So I drank for my Dr. Pepper and put that back down. And he said, one more time, I order you to stand up and take a drink. And I said, is that your final answer? And he got mad and started stomping his feet up and down. And so I waved my hand over him and suddenly he couldn't move. And he's like screaming at me. What have you done? What have you done to me? And I picked up my Dr. Pepper, walked over to this tub of other Dr. Peppers, picked up two more and said, call me when you're ready to apologize. And now he's trying to move his hands and his, his legs and he can't move at all. He's just standing still screaming at me at the top of his lungs to let go of him. Let me go. What have you done to me? What's going on here? And he's cussing me out. And I'm not paying attention to him. I've got my Dr. Peppers and I'm leaving. So I walk out of the room, down the hall, into the elevator, down a few flights, out the front door, get in my limo and go back to my hotel. When I get back to my hotel room, my phone is ringing. So we walked in, I started getting undressed, and I had my assistant answer the phone. And he's on the other end cussing them out. And I said, I'll just hang up on him. So I hung up on him. The phone started ringing again. And I said, unplug the phone. 
I don't have time for that. So I unplugged the phone. I got all my clothes off, my makeup off. I took a long hot shower. And then I finished that. I got in the hot tub for a little bit, relaxed, done with that, got redressed, went downtown, had some dinner, and um, went out uh, dancing and drinking a little bit, and ended up going back to the hotel announcement about three or four hours. And we plugged the phone in again. It's still ringing. So we answered the phone and asked, is he ready for to apologize yet? They said no. So we unplugged the phone again, and I watched some TV, and then... I was getting ready for bed and we plugged the phone in again and we talked on the phone again. And this time he's ready to apologize. So then I talked to him. He gave me a very nice apology and I had to go back in there the next day. So I went in the next day, but he never showed back up. First of all, you said it was a really good apology. How did he apologize? How did it go? Do you remember? He said he did not realize that I was the high wizard at the event. And he didn't realize who he was talking to. And had he known I was the high wizard, he would not have attacked me like he did. He would not have been demanding like he was. He would have been more courteous. You'd think he would have been able to tell from the makeup. You'd think he'd be able to tell because we all look the same way. So after the apology, did you decide to lift the curse? That's kind of where we got up to. Like he said his apology and then your response afterwards. Yeah, I, I lifted the curse at that point. However, I, I did find out, actually, a few weeks later. I was at my office, which was, we have an office in Chicago, in downtown Chicago. I got this package in the mail, and my secretary brings it in. She goes, we got this package. So she opened up the box, and she goes, oh, it's a cake. And she pulls it out, and it looks like a Ouija board. And it says on it, are you the high wizard that put the curse on Bill Gates? And then there's a yes and a no portion of the cake and a little planchette in it, like what goes on a Ouija board. So I had her put the yes back in the box with the planchette and mail it back to the sender. So we did that. And then a few days later, I got a call from another high wizard and he said he knew it was me. It had all the earmarkings of me on it. And uh, he said he got a call from Bill Gates where I guess Bill had called the World Church of Satan and said he needed to talk to another high wizard. So they called this high wizard, and he said, can you get a curse off me? And he goes, sure. Who put the curse on you? What difference does that make? And he's like, well, call it my need to know. Who put the curse on you? He said, another high wizard. He goes, no, I can't take that curse off. Professional courtesy. If a high wizard put the curse on you, then he had to have a reason. I can't take that curse off. And he goes, what about another high wizard? He goes, no, no other high wizard will take another high wizard's curse off. None of us will do that. So whatever you did to the first one, you need to go apologize to him so he'll remove the curse. So he had to apologize to me because no other high wizard would take the curse off. Wow. Yeah, nobody treated us like that. Nobody would have that attitude towards us. Most people either at least treated us with respect. Most people feared us. I mean, Bill Gates, to me, just seems like a complete control freak and a megalomaniac, really. What What was the substance that he was trying to get everyone to drink? Adrenochrome. And just for the people listening at home that maybe don't know what adrenochrome is. They sexually torture a child, and when the child is terrified, 
he releases adrenaline into his bloodstream and they insert needles into the child in certain places of their body and they take out all their blood and they kill the child but it takes all their adrenaline and their blood mixed together out of their bodies and then they filter them over precious metals and i think they add some other things to it but this produces a chemical called adrenochrome and it helps the elites live longer wow and is that something that the church of satan is involved in as well or is is that completely outside of that that's pretty much the illuminati that's an illuminati controlled thing but the abortion side of things is definitely a part of it and i've heard you talk about this idea that there's probably one satanist in every abortion clinic in america or if that's not the case there's at least huge ties can you explain that relationship between like how you know how would that work as someone that was part of the world church of satan you could just turn up to an abortion clinic or there was a certain ones that you had ties to and then you could go there and perform these rites how did it work exactly it could be the person in charge of the clinic or it could be a nurse or a doctor there or it could be a security guard but somebody there would be a satanist somebody there would know who it is they have to talk to to get permission for us to come in and then we could come into some of those places um sometimes the women that come in are called breeders they intentionally get pregnant so they can have an abortion and this moves them further up in the coven you know gives them a higher status or a higher position and this is however many abortions they can have a woman that can have 10 or more abortions is really high up in this in the coven like the woman that, that was uh, 19 years old by the time she was 19 i think that was her third abortion and you know, she was gonna. She was planning on being very successful in another covenant, not in ours. But you know, th- these people—they know why they're there. They know what they're doing. Some people are actually paid to have an abortion, and some people do pay the abortion mill, you know, for the right to have the abortion there at their mill. And there's somebody there that's a Satanist that's allowing the satanic event to take place. They have these strange laws at all the Planned Parenthoods in the United States that no religious event is allowed to be taken place on their grounds. But by religious event, they mean Christian. No Christian events are allowed to be taken place because they have satanic events happening every day. I got interviewed a few years ago when we had two art projects going on in the United States. There was... In Washington, D.C. and in New York, some artists had built a temple of Baal. And there were people that were upset because we had two temples of Baal. And somebody interviewed me and asked me, what did I think about the temples of Baal being built in Washington and New York? And I said, I don't know why people are so upset. We've had 865 temples of Baal in the United States for the last 50 years. No one's ever complained. And... They're like, well, what do you mean, 865? I said, well, what did the Temple of Baal do? They did child sacrifice. We have 865 Planned Parenthoods in the United States. They do 1.3 million child sacrifices every year. Wow. I don't hear anybody complaining about it. And Bill Gates, of course, and his family are linked to Planned Parenthood. And they've also built uh, abortion mills around the world, a lot of them in third world countries. 
Well, a lot of times they say that they'll end world poverty with abortion, but we still have world poverty. So where did that work? Why is abortion such a potent sacrifice? Because you're killing something that's completely innocent and has not been born yet. It doesn't have original sin yet. You have to be born to have original sin. So it hasn't been born. It's still innocent. It's the most innocent creature in the world. And remember that the Bible says that these little ones have a face in heaven of an angel that beholds the face of his father. So if you ask your guardian angel to ask that baby to pray for you, why wouldn't God listen to that baby's prayer? And that would be the strongest prayer in the world. If we realized that 1.3 million prayer warriors were murdered every year, and that those prayer warriors could do anything, whatever they're praying for is going to happen because they're the most innocent prayer warriors in the world. Satan knows that, so he's killing them all. So the only difference between an abortion and an abortion being a satanic sacrifice is that someone will be present there doing the right. Every, every abortion that happens, no matter where it happens, and no matter who's present at it, every time zone around the world, between midnight and 3 a.m., all the abortions of that time zone are consecrated to the devil. So that makes all the abortions a satanic sacrifice because they're all consecrated to Satan in every time zone. We're working on a project right now with priests around the world, and Father Frank Pavone is helping put all that together where that we have priests offering masses during those times so that we can eliminate the consecrations because, as Father Jim Blunt said, all the consecrations go to the power of Satan and the power of the Antichrist every night. And every time there's an abortion, a demon gets released from hell. That doesn't matter why the woman is having the abortion. There's still a demon released from hell. I don't think most people are aware that actually abortion can be seen as a satanic sacrifice and even has these links to World Church of Satan. So you would just, like, someone would just let you guys in and you could literally just start performing some satanic rites whilst the person is unconscious or or, or the person is that is having the abortion is also aware of this? There's a lot of times the person's aware. They know why we're there. They, they know that they're there for the same reason. They're moving higher up on the, the ladder, so to speak. You know, or sometimes they're, you know, they've been asked, do you mind if we sacrifice your baby to Satan? Most women are like, oh, yeah, that's not a problem. No big deal. Well, not most women. <laughs> well, they, they probably don't <laughs> believe it's real. I mean, the if, average... if, a woman, if a woman is able to look at her baby and know that she's murdering that baby so that she can keep partying, so that she can keep her job, so that she can stay with her boyfriend, what does she care what the reason is it's being killed? She's being She's willing to murder her own child. Would would there be a transactional element to it though? Like you 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 would pay the money, or you'd be funding the clinics. Like how would it work sometimes, in that sense? Sometimes uh, we have offered. I think we paid up to a few thousand dollars to a woman to have an abortion, but she was going to have the abortion anyway. She's just negotiating for money. She's only granting you 
permission, I'm guessing, to say some words and perform some kind of a ritual whilst it's happening. Right. And then am I right in thinking that also another part of that is, as you said, you, you have to get some kind of blood on your hands. That's a, that's an important right. part. That doesn't mean you have to perform no. the abortion, but you have to be in close proximity to it. Right, right, to be able to get the blood on my hands. Now, last year, I think, the Satanic Temple came out in the States and said that if you live in a state that does not allow abortion, if you go on our website and join the Satanic Temple, and then we'll give you some prayers to say, and when you go get your abortion, say these prayers before the abortion and after the abortion, and that makes your abortion a satanic sacrifice, and that way it is protected under religious freedom, and you're protected for your abortion, even if you live in a state that doesn't allow it. Wow. So even the satanic temple recognizes abortion as a satanic sacrifice. So with with sacrifice in general, because obviously there's sacrifice within the Bible. If we look at ancient cultures like the Aztecs that were the performing yeah, these mass sacrifices, like what is it that all these different races have been doing for thousands of years? Why has that existed? Were they all trying to make deals or access the same forces? Is it was it all in a sense satanic well you have moloch and you have baal and they both demanded child sacrifices or abortions we even have there's a bible verse in galatians that tells about the people that will not inherit the kingdom of god so these are sins that if you don't confess you'll go to hell you don't get to go to heaven for these and one of them says sorcery but the original word for sorcery was pharmakeia and pharmacaea was originally a potion that women would drink that would induce an abortion and oftentimes would kill the mother. So in the Bible, it used to say that if you had an abortion, you would not inherit the kingdom of God. That doesn't say anywhere that that's a nice procedure, that God likes abortion, or that it is not a satanic sacrifice. But what do you think the purpose behind mass sacrifices from, say, like the ancients was about? It still comes down to making Satan happy and Satan making God unhappy. You think they were the they were their gods? Well, Moloch was a god of the ancients, and so was Baal. And Baal and Moloch are both high-level demons. Mm. So when you were kind of like at the peak of you know, your success within the world church of Satan, you were high wizard other than things like Bohemian Grove or the Bilderberg meeting. Were you being invited to eyes wide shut uh, Stanley Kubrick style parties with like celebrities and going to these sorts of events as well? Did it go outside mm -hmm. of the world of politics and them kind of influential people? You, you go to a lot of events there's a street in Burlington, Vermont, called Church Street, named because there used to be a church at the end of the list. It's still it's there, but I don't think it's a Christian church now. And underground on that street is a BDSM club that most people don't know it's there. And it, it's highly sexualized and a lot of kinky BDSM events take place down there. And, um, you know, it's a highly satanic event 
but most of the people there see themselves as pagan, not necessarily satanic. And it's like that around the United States. There's a lot of places that have underground labyrinths set up, and a lot of satanic parties take place. And a lot of these people don't view these events as satanic. They just see it as, oh, we're going to go have some fun tonight with somebody I don't even know. And a lot of these events have actors or rock stars in them or models, uh, superstars in their own rank of whatever they are. And all these events are designed to keep you hooked so that you don't go off and try and find God anywhere because you're having too much fun here. As you just said, then rock stars and musicians have a lot of these people. I know it's like a cliche sort of thing, but done like deals with the devil. They sold their souls. Are they like initiates or are they just living a, a kind of godless, lawless yeah. life? A lot of them are just caught up in the, the lifestyle and the fun. You know, and after a while, you do this so much, you're expected to do it. You're not really having a good time, necessarily. You don't really want to quit because you're having... Satan's telling you you're having fun. But and they're not see... necessarily part of... They haven't signed these sell-your-soul contracts. They're not practicing right. Satanists, or some of them are. Right. Some of them would be, but not all of them. I wouldn't know who hasn't sold their soul to the devil. You wouldn't know who hasn't. <laughs> what meaning most have? The majority have. Wow. That would explain a lot by what we see coming out of things like Hollywood. Yeah, because it definitely right. feels like they're pushing this more within Hollywood, within music. Do you feel that as well? Yeah, it's they're pushing the envelope more and more. Like Disney keeps coming out worse and worse. You know, last year they came out with a cartoon about Satan having a relationship with a teenage woman, made her pregnant, she gave birth to the Antichrist. And now this year, I think they came out with a live-action uh, series that has a similar theme. Yeah, it sounds like, like Ro Rosemary's Baby kind of stuff. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah movie. When Rosemary's Baby came out, that was scary and creepy. Now Disney's involved, it's all funny and lighthearted. Yeah. It's like, what's the big deal? It's just the Antichrist. I mean, if you go back and watch, oh, what's that? What's the cartoon about Adrenochrome? Monsters, Inc. Monsters, Inc. Yeah, I mean, if you watch Monsters, Inc. and put Adrenochrome in there, instead of what they're saying, you see it make total sense. They're hiding it in plain sight. So let's talk about your turnaround, Zach, because obviously you're no longer within the World Church of Satan. There was obviously some big things that happened within your life that made you do a 180. From the dizzy heights of being a high wizard, when was the point that everything changed for you? Well, I kind of got tired over what I was saying and seeing doing. I used to think, you know, I'd love to sin with impunity. Wouldn't that be novel? That'd be new and different. I can drink as much as I want, take as much drugs as I want, have as much sex as I can stand. Well, you know, when you get to do all that stuff with impunity, it gets boring after a while. Mm. You know, it's like, who are you going to sleep with tonight? I don't care. I don't want to sleep with anybody. I don't want to take any drugs. I don't want to drink anything. You know, it was refreshing to have a night off to not do anything. And eventually I thought, I want to get out of this. But I knew that if I commit suicide and murdered or die of natural causes, I end up in hell. 
I wasn't ready to go to hell yet. So I plotted an escape. Now I've got 12 cars. The most car that people see me driving most of the time is a Lamborghini Diablo. But my real car is a Nissan Sentra. People see me dressed as a high wizard all the time. But my real clothes are usually a Metallica t-shirt and cutoff jeans and flip-flops. People see me leaving mansions all the time. But my real house is in the ghetto in Tallahassee, Florida. I live in Frenchtown. And I've got a bank account with $87 million in it. It's not my money. I can't touch it. My regular account usually has about $265 in it. But they even watch that account. So I've got to slowly pilfer money out of my own account. 10 bucks here, 20 bucks there. Until I've gotten a nice, a nice goose egg out of that. You know, so I've got a nice amount hidden away. And I set up a doctor's visit with a doctor on a Friday night at five o'clock. So I'd be the last visit. And I'm being watched all the time and I'm paranoid. So I get up on the interstate and I get to that exit. But instead of getting off, I keep going. And I keep driving until my car runs out of gas. Now, I took my credit cards with me, but I cut them up along the way. And I just dumped a half a credit card in every town I went into until I'd get rid of all of them. I kept my driver's license with me and my cash. Ended up getting a bus ticket for Greyhound to take me into Canada. And I got rejected at the border. They told me I could go anywhere I wanted to go. So I opened up a United States Atlas closed my eyes and put my finger down and landed in Oklahoma. So I had the bus to take me to Oklahoma. And I lived off the grid for a year and then lived for two years on the grid, bought another car, tried to go into the into Canada again, got rejected at the border again. And so I was driving back to Oklahoma and a friend told me about a border crossing into Canada where there was no border guard there. And I thought, I'm going that way then. So I was about two hours away from the crossing and I got really tired. I mean, like just dog tired. I couldn't keep my eyes open any longer. So I found a rest stop and I pulled over there and I took a nap. Now I thought it was going to be like a one or two hour nap, but when I woke up, it was the next morning. I went to bed at like four in the afternoon and I woke up, it was like seven in the morning. So I got up, went inside the rest stop, went to the bathroom, came back out. You know, I'd gotten washed up some when I was in there. So I was wide awake now, and I only had to drive two hours. And when I got to the border and drove across, I got pulled over by a border guard. And he searched my car inside and out, top to bottom. And while he's doing that, he's telling me his life story. And he tells me that it's taken him three years to get this job. And today is his very first day on the job. And I realized that God had a sense of humor, that had I driven across that border yesterday, I'd be safely in Canada right now. But because I took my nap, I got stopped at the border. So he rejects me, and I drive back to Burlington, Vermont. That was the next city near me. I was worth about $18 and had half a tank of gas. So it looks like I'm going to be homeless now in Burlington, Vermont. My first day in town, I got hooked in with a homeless program. And then everybody told me it was impossible to get a job there. But I got a job my first day in town. I got a job. I was a dishwasher at Nectar's. And I washed dishes the first day. And then they told me they didn't actually need me. I'd just be on call. So I went back to the homeless shelter. And then that night, they came back and got me and said that their dishwasher called out sick. And if I could, could I come wash the dishes tonight? 
So I came back over to wash the dishes that night. And then the owner came back and told me that she fired the dish, the dishwasher and that now the job is mine. So I was in that homeless shelter for about two or three more days. And then they transferred me to a different homeless shelter where people are actually trying to find jobs. And then I was in that homeless shelter for about six weeks. And then the homeless program got me a place to live. And I went to work as the dishwasher. And then I was the head dishwasher. And then I was a doorman because it was also a bar. And a doorman is like a bouncer. And then I went from being the bouncer to being head of security. And then I left that bar and went to another bar and I was their head of security. And then I went to being the GM. And then I transferred from that bar to a retail job in the mall. And this woman came up one day and bought a pair of gold hoop earrings. And at some point she was like, well, actually I'm shopping with my daughter. When I'm done, I'll come back and I'll buy these. So I said, okay. And she walked away. And normally when people say this, what they mean is I'm going to go find them cheaper someplace else. But she had an honest face. I knew she was coming back. And sure enough, about three hours later, she comes back and we do the transaction. And I say, if you call the 800 number on this receipt and take a survey, you might win $1,000. And she goes, oh, that's great. I've got something for you, too. And I thought, oh, no, she's going to pull out a Jack Chick pamphlet, tell me that I'm sinning. I need to drop to my knees and beg for forgiveness and do all this stuff that I can't do because I sold my soul to the devil when I was 13. But instead, she pulls out this little cheap colored gold piece of tin. No one's ever handed me jewelry before. I've just handed it to them. And she says the strangest thing I've ever heard. Now, remember that I partied with rock stars. So you give somebody unlimited alcohol and drugs that can write poetry and songs, and they will say some strange stuff. If you want an example, when you leave your studio tonight, go out and listen to a top 40 station and just listen to any song and listen to the stupidity that these people say. You know, in 1999, when I left my satanic oven, the number one song of that year was Bow to Ba by Kid Rock. The chorus of that song is Bow to Ba, to dang to dang, diggy diggy, up jumps the boogie. Now, as silly and stupid as that song sounds, that was the number one song of the year. That song beat out every other song that year for supremacy on the airwaves. What that woman said was crazier than that. She said, the Blessed Mother is calling you into her army. And I thought, Blessed Mother, Isis, Gaia, I have no idea who the Blessed Mother is. And then she says it's very powerful. Well, I know Protestants don't bless anything. So this woman's got to represent some female deity cult. you know. And I'm not interested in joining her satanic coven. Whatever it is, most covens around the world are, are connected in some way. I don't want to join that. And, you know, she just keeps on and on. And I'm thinking, you have my gold. I have your money. This was win-win for the two of us. Why are you still talking to me? And I had tuned her out for a while. And she, I tuned her back in, and she said, it's very powerful. Well, no, 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 no. I used to be the high wizard. Now, now there's generally between two and five of us in the world, but that number could be as low as one or as high as ten. That means at any given point in the world, I could have been the only one high wizard out of seven billion people. And you're trying to tell me that this blessed, miraculous metal is more powerful than I am? No, see, I'm going to take this in my hand, and I'm going to feel of it. 
and I'm going to find out that there's no power to this. There's no mystique in this. This can't touch me. I'm going to feel of it. I'm going to tell her it's, there's no power in this. I'm going to either toss it on my floor or slam it on my counter, and I'm going to tell her it's worthless. This can't do anything to me. You know, if God was stronger than me, he'd have stopped me when I was doing my 146 assisted abortions. But he didn't. So I'm more powerful than God. And then if she gets mad and wants to return the gold and get her money back, that's fine. You know, my sales top everybody's sales. I make my days, my weeks, my months, my quarters, and my year. Nobody outdoes my sales. So my boss is never going to believe I was rude to somebody. She's going to think, oh, she didn't like your haircut. She didn't like your tie today. She didn't like the cologne you were wearing. It's not because you were rude. And I agree to take it. I stick my hand out, and she's all happy because I've agreed to take it. And she drops it in my hand, and I clench my fist around it. So I'm going to tell her these things. Except when I clench my fist around it, my store and my mall completely disappear. And I'm standing in this darkened void. And it's me and this woman, Marianne Wickman, and she tells me about the magic spell I did last night. And that's of the devil. And I've split over 100 churches. And that's of the devil. And I've committed over 100 abortions. And that's of the devil. And she tells me about nine or 10 other sins. And everything ends with, and that's of the devil. Now, when I first got in this position, I wanted to attack her with magic. But now I realize if I attack her with magic, she'll destroy me. Her magic is way stronger than mine. Let's go back to me being the only one-eyed wizard. I did not have the power to give somebody a worthless gold-colored piece of tin, transport both of us to a darkened void, and know all their sins. Her magic is stronger than mine. I'm terrified of this woman. I don't know what to do. And what if I let go, but I just fall through this darkened void, and I don't find my way back to my mall? I don't know what to do at all. I'm starting to sweat. And she says again, the Blessed Mother is calling me into her army. And instantly, like a grace from the Holy Spirit, I know that that's the Mother of God. A very strange revelation for a former Baptist. And when I realized it's the Mother of God, Mary showed up. This is the prettiest woman I have ever seen in my life. And she smiles at me. A smile I knew I did not deserve. And she took me by the hand. And she turned me around. Divine Mercy Jesus was standing behind me. I didn't know what Divine Mercy was. I've got these rays of light shooting around me and over me and under me, through me. And I knew in that instant I did not sell my soul to the devil when I was 13. I knew that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. I knew that all my magic, my occult, my new age, my Satanism was false. And I knew everything Catholic was truth. And the Blessed Mother told me my job was to help her end abortion. And I opened my hand and I was standing back in my mall, back in my kiosk. And this woman tells me that she's Father Joseph Whalen's personal assistant. He's the busiest priest she knows. She's the personal assistant. He doesn't even have time to talk to her. While she's talking to me, her cell phone rings. And she looks at it. She goes, this is Father Joe. I've got to take it. Wait, you just explained all that about Father Joe. Go ahead. So when she answered the phone, Father Joe was starting to go deaf at that time. So he talked like everybody was going deaf. So everything he said, I could hear. Can they hand the phone to the young man you're talking to? 
So she hands me the phone. I'm shaking like Ozzy Osbourne. I'm like, hello? Welcome to the faith. Hand the phone back to Marianne. So I hand the phone back to Marianne. He hangs up on her. She gets two more phone calls like that. Her daughter comes in. He says, can you bring this man one of each of everything? So she goes out, gets me a paper grocery bag filled from the bottom to the top with pamphlets and brochures. Why do Catholics believe this or do that? And like 125 White House Catholic media discs and a Catholic Bible. And then she comes in and she gives me the address of where she goes to Mass. And when I got home, I told my wife, hey, honey, guess what? I'm Catholic now. And she was not very happy. She'd grown up Jehovah's Witness. So she said, of all the things you could possibly be, why would you want to be Catholic? But the next day, I started going to Catholic Mass. And so did she. You know, she supported me in my decision. And I started going to adoration, finding out that there was a place I could go and see Jesus anytime. I didn't have to sign up for it. And um, that happened in January of 08. I officially came into the church in May of 08. I worked with St. Raphael for about two years. And then I started All Saints Catholic Ministry in 2010. Wow. So it's like an instant turnaround from that one meeting with that lady. Everything changed for you. Right. And then since then, I've done something like 205 conferences and 200 interviews. I mean, this might be quite an obvious question to ask, Zachary, but, you know, you were at like the top of the world when you were doing Satan's uh, work, shall we say. You're no longer obviously doing that. How does your life compare? I mean, well, I'm not going to hell now when I when I die. So That's I'm probably, pretty much on top of the world. Probably the best gift you could get back from it. Um, I think the three best gifts that Jesus left us were the Eucharist, confession, and his mother. So obviously his mother rescued me, led me to her son. Uh, getting divine mercy was incredible. Being able to go to confession every time I'm not in a state of grace is pretty incredible. Like you briefly said then that you saw like you had a direct contact with Jesus. Um, I had saw Divine Mercy Jesus for my first two years, every time I would go to adoration or every time I went to mass. Do you think that's so because I, you were more susceptible, like because you, from a young age, you'd seen demons, you could also see the opposite of that? Possibly, or maybe they knew they were groom grooming me to do this. And, you know, that there's 1.3 billion Catholics in the world, but according to a Pew survey, only 15% of them believe in the true presence. Mm. I believe in the true presence because I've seen Jesus in the Eucharist. Would you say so, Catholics are like, you know, if demons were afraid of anyone that was religious, would Catholics be like the ones that they were really wary of? I think if Catholics knew their faith, they would be afraid of them. But most Catholics don't know what they have. Mm. People that were born Catholic don't appreciate the gift they have. The people that appreciate Catholicism are converts because they recognize that being Protestant is nothing. We don't have the fullness of the truth in the Protestant religion. We don't have anywhere close to it. Our Bible is missing seven books, and we embrace it like it's the truth, but then we embrace our heretical Bible, 
one that doesn't even have the truth in it. Well, not not to keep you for much longer, Zachary. I mean, just just to kind of end things on a bit of a positive note. You know better than anyone from going to things like Bohemian Grove and even being an insider on these Bilderberg meetings of what these elites, the Illuminati, the people that are linked to Satanism, what what they have planned for the world. But what what do you see for the future that can maybe end our episode with a little bit of hope for the people listening? You know, the the Antichrist is coming. According to Father Jim Blunt, he has seen the Antichrist, and he's somebody that we would all know. When the Antichrist comes, though, that means Jesus' second return is right around the corner. So really, you should look forward to the Antichrist coming, because that means it's not far beyond that, that we'll all either be going to heaven, hell, or purgatory. So you literally believe that there is a judgment day coming? Of course there is. In our lifetime? Yeah, in our lifetime. Can we get a date on it? <laughs> no, we don't. We don't get. We don't get to know the day. But I would think that since Jim Blunt is seeing Father Blunt is seeing the Antichrist, it's, that it's got to be in his lifetime. Soon. How should people live their lives and conduct themselves from now until then to get into the good graces of God and? not been allowed yourself to be led into temptation you should live like every day is your judgment day well you want to be the best you possibly can be that you want to definitely go to heaven that you don't want to sin you know and you want to do whatever you can to make god happy hope you enjoyed that episode of the schism we've got plenty more episodes on the way in the meantime follow us on our instagram at schism.tv and keep watching the skies father son holy ghost hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus holy mary mother of god pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen.